I'm now going to read the word of the Lord um, from First Samuel, from the book of First Samuel, chapter 17, verses 55, and then verses 8, excuse me, chapter 18, verse 5. No, verses 1 through 5. All right. As, Sam, as soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and bought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ Central. Thank you, Amy, for reading the word of God to us and for us. Uh, for those of you who are guests with us this morning, my name is Omari Hill. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Christ Central. It's my pleasure to be before you this morning. And uh, you notice if you've been visiting with us for a little bit, you've known that over the past couple of weeks uh, that myself and Pastor Josh have been filling the pulpit in the absence of our pastor, Howard Brown. Uh, he and his family are on vacation, taking some much needed time for rest. So just ask that you continue to lift them up in prayer. Um, and of course, I don't know. I mean, if you got some like some deep issues going on, probably don't send that to them. We have a session here. We have elders, that sort of deal. But, you know, they might like a little, you know, a couple of fun pictures or something from your own vacation or something like that. You know, I don't know. I may have just gotten myself into trouble, but I'm just I'm just putting that out there, just putting that out there. Um, so this morning, we're going to continue with a sermon series as we've been surveying 1 Samuel, and eventually we will also get to 2 Samuel, those uh, two uh, books of the Bible in the Old Testament that cover some significant history in the life of Israel. And we've been looking at, um, now we've moved into the life of David, uh, and we see him uh, interacting with King Saul and with his household and with all, the, with all the house of Israel and the enemies of Israel, and we see the drama that unfolds there. And uh, Pastor Josh started us off with sort of a series within a series, which is where we're sort of focusing in on friendships, right? Like mentorship, friendship, that, those kinds of relationships. And so we continue to do that. I will continue today and also next week as well. And then we'll go back into the larger theme, the larger themes that we find in these books. And so just to start us off, let me mention somebody that I think we're all familiar with. Rodney King. Okay, here he goes, right? Here he goes, all right. No, all right, just calm down for a second. Not going, but remember, you remember Rodney King, 
Okay, and, and this brother, what happened to him? We're not going to get into the details of that whole event and everything that uh, transpired afterward. What I, I'm, the reason why I mention his name is to bring up that famous statement that he made. Can't we all just get along? I mean, isn't that what we all kind of feel when we're faced with uh, issues of justice, uh, when we're faced with turmoil in the community, and we're just thinking, can't we all just be friends, right? Can't we all just get along? Can't these relationships be better? Can't we be people that look out for each other and want to be with one another? Perhaps even as you, you think about Rodney King and what he said, you may even think of that, that old song that War sang back in the 70s, why can't we be friends? Right? Remember that song? And, you know, you think of that song, and like me, you also think of Lethal Weapon, because they, that song is at the end of the series. Like, not just Lethal Weapon 1 or 2 or 3, but also 4. Uh, they, they did all four of them. And in Lethal Weapon, you had this powerful duo, right, and Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. And they got into a hot mess together in, in, in Adventures of, of Justice. And, um, you know, we loved it. We, and, and, they, and they were able to do this and do what they were able to do well probably because they were, they were skilled officers, right? And they had a common enemy, and that was how they were able to, you know, to, to win, right? But the secret of their success, if you watch all four movies, and, you know, you've got some time, maybe, well, August is coming, so maybe not. But, you know, if you got a little bit of time, you watch all four, you see the secret of their success was their friendship. It, it was... Danny Glover and Mel Gibson were just, they were close buddies. They, let, they were in each other's lives. And, um, and I think part of what we need for a different world in our time is a growing network of friendships. Because right? let's be real, though. Some, some of our friendships are a little bit more transformative than others. Right? So, you know, there's, there's Batman and Robin. That's a good friendship. But then there's like Harley Quinn and the Joker. That's a little different. Okay, so, you know, some, some friendships are better than others. So, but we want good friendships, transformative friendships that, that bring about change, that bring about healing and restorative justice and beauty in the world. But in order to get there, we need good direction and we need power. We need good direction and, and we need power, right? If we're going to pursue the kind of friendship that, that brings healing that brings justice and promotes the kingdom of God. We need a kind of friendship that will guide us and that will also free us to do so. So this morning, I want us to look at a godly friendship that we see here in this text between Jonathan and David and see what we might learn so that we can be both guided and given power. So this godly friendship it guides us. Now, I'm going to go into a couple of insights here. Now, you might be looking you might, at the, the points. Maybe you had a chance to look and you see, oh, pastor's only got two points this morning. Not three. This is great. Uh, but, you know, this, you know, just changing it up just a little bit. But hopefully they're, they're still just as, just as helpful. And uh, you, you'll see that we'll actually spend uh, quite a bit of time on the first point drilling in just a little bit. And there's some insights that I'm going to share with you this morning. I'm excited to share with you. And um, I've, I've learned some of these things um, from one of my uh, previous pastors, Tim Keller. And even as I think about him now, would invite you, as some of you, many of you know him, uh, you're familiar with his writings, 
invite you to be in prayer for him. As many of you know, Tim Keller is battling cancer right now. Um, he's made that very public and has been asking folks to pray for him and for his family and just invite you to do that. Um, but some of the insights I'm going to share this morning, I, I owe to him. And so I'm thankful for his ministry and uh, we'll join you hopefully in prayer for him and hope that we will see the Lord work a miracle in his life in the very near future. Godly friendship guides us toward three different things that I think we see here in this text. One is intimacy. The other is sympathy. And the last thing is covenant. Intimacy, sympathy, and covenant. I'm going to explain those. But so first, let me, let me get at intimacy. Right? Verse 1 of this text, he says in, in chapter 18, it says, as, as soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And that's an incredible feeling. When someone sees something in you, like below the surface, into your spirit, and they see something that maybe you couldn't even see for yourself, and they're, they're so attracted to you that they let you into their own soul, that they let you in. I mean, there's this, there's this uh, transparency, there's a vulnerability that's there, and it's a beautiful thing. And to be able to uh, open our decisions and our beliefs and our struggles and our desires to someone that we trust. And when you're intimate, you don't just let a friend uh, see these things, but they, they also get to speak into them and, and, and even possibly change them, right? Change your beliefs and change some of your decisions and desires. I mean, think about it. Like when, when your closest friends decide to adopt or, or to move, or to go vegan <laughs> without you knowing it, I mean, you feel a little shocked, don't you? And you feel like there's something in you to feel a little upset, like, hey, you should have, I would, why didn't you tell me? Like, why don't I know this? Like, you know, we're supposed to be tight. Like, oh, you just make a decision like that. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, okay, right? Because your souls were bound, right? You were supposed to, to know or have uh, some hint of her business, we usually don't like a ton of people in our business, but that's not the case for those with whom we're intimate. We let true friends in to shape our decisions and to, to connect with our desires. And godly friendship is marked by that very kind of intimacy. See, before Jesus ended his own ministry as a rabbi, he said to his own students, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. He says, you're my friends because I let you into my business. I let you in. The intimacy is a beautiful thing. And I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've experienced it before. I, I remember a time when one of my best friends, when we first met, you know, I had seen him in the hallways of, school and we had already been in a couple of classes together and I didn't know you know kind of what he was feeling about me and everything until one day he was he was about to he's getting close to his wedding and he invited me to come and to be at his wedding you know this is my first year in a state that I'd never lived in before and here's this guy like inviting me to his wedding and like and he looked excited like I really want I want you to be there I want you to celebrate 
with me. I wanted to be in my business, to be a part of this. And that invitation, it was, it was a little alarming at first. I felt a little like, hey, you know, what? What's going on here? But, but um, we've been best friends ever since. I mean, he ended up being my best man in my wedding. Right? So um, that was just the, the beginning, this invitation into intimacy. And it, it felt good to be, to be trusted at that level. It, it's alarming at first because in, in spite of, you know, in spite of some of the ways that we may have been, you know, trying to hide or, or ways that we've been closed off, right? Somebody invites us in, we're like, wait a minute, right? We may have been through some things. There may be some trauma in our background when it comes to getting too close to people. And so when someone gives you that invitation, it feels a little alarming. Something's going off in you like, I don't know about that. And it's alarming when, when somebody truly sees you, when they really see you. And they invite you in. But it's also disarming. You look at Jonathan, like he let David into his soul. And that takes a level of trust. And when somebody trusts you at that level, it it affirms something about you. When someone lets you in, it it, it says you're trustworthy. There's, there's There's a certain kind of value there that's being ascribed to you, that's given, being given to you from someone else, and that they're willing to be vulnerable with you. So someone is affirming you, letting you in, being willing to be vulnerable with you. The thing I want to say next, the thing I want to say next, you may need to excuse the kids from the room if they're still there. This is a little, not rated R, but kind of PG-13. So if they haven't gone yet to go watch something on the Children's Ministry Facebook page, now be a good time. Go ahead, let him in. Let him in. I'll give you a second. All right. Um, so, vulnerability and openness. They sound, these words kind of sound kind of a little sexual, don't they? Right? Very sexual indeed. But they, but they shouldn't. We've sexualized intimacy. Right? Generally, men are told that they have to be heroic and women are told that they have to be attractive before either is accepted, before either is let in, All right? And so, uh, we, you know, we hang around each other at our jobs and in our schools and even in our churches worried and asking, do I have what it takes or am I worth fighting for? Am I lovely? And you know how this goes. Like everybody wants to be around the, the heroic guy or the, the gorgeous girl. They want to be around the, the captain of the football team, right? the beauty queen. And there's nothing wrong with those things, right? There's nothing wrong with being the captain of the team. There's nothing wrong with being you know, a, a beautiful person who's stylish and all that kind of stuff. Nothing wrong with these. The problem is when those things, those skills or those attributes become masks that we wear in order to belong, right? In, in order to... Uh, to, to be let in. And so we wear these masks of, of heroism and this mask of loveliness that, that make people want to trust us and be known by us, right? Because we want to be like them too. And so they're like, oh, great. You know, and, and they, they always have people around them and they, they seem to be, they're, they're never alone. But those of you who have been in those shoes, you know that you can be surrounded by a ton of people and still feel alone. Because the problem is, you're never really known. You wear a mask, you're not the real you. And, and, and we're, we're so used to connecting on the surface that as soon as we have a hint 
just a hint of being let in on a deeper level, we go straight to flipping the sheets. Because our souls are starving. We're longing for intimacy. When all we know how to do is just go to the bedroom, straight to the hotel, right? I mean, just what's going on? But we'd be a lot better off if we cultivated our friendships more than our mating techniques, right? I mean, who are you letting into your business that shouldn't be there? Is your spirit crying out to be known and trusted even with its weaknesses? Jonathan and David's friendship was, was spiritually knit. And we all need friendships like that too. A friendship that guides us toward intimacy, true intimacy, life-giving intimacy. But godly friendship also guides us in sympathy. I'll explain what I mean by that. It, it guides us into sympathy. So remember that we, we talked about heroism. I mean, what's more heroic than slaying a giant? <laughs> I mean, David didn't, but, but David didn't kill Goliath out of self-interest. Right? He wasn't trying, he didn't accept the quest. You know, he didn't, uh, he didn't read some secret book and then you shall go and slay the giant and he goes to prove himself so that he can finally get the princess that he always wanted, that, all that kind of stuff. Like, he, he doesn't go on a quest to prove himself uh, to himself or to his own people, but he's driven by something much deeper than that. One of my favorite verses in scripture, I love this, and we, we read this already because we preached through it, we went through it already, but, um, but, but back in, early in 1 Samuel, after, uh, when, when David is delivering lunch for his brothers, right, uh, he, he shows up and he, he's like, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? I love this line. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Like, what, what, what you, who are you talking to, boy? Like, well, who you think, what? You're going to step up to, do you know who this is? This is the true and living God. Like, you must have lost your mind. Like, you just going to let this man talk, talk, talk spit like that? This man must be fooling. He's stepping way out of line. Like, I know he's a giant, but he's really gotten a little too big for his britches. Somebody got to bring him down a notch. Right? And so that, so that's what, what David comes with, he comes with that, and you just feel it because he's zealous for the glory of God. That's why he steps to the plate like that, because he's zealous for God's glory, not his own. And so, uh, and you remember, you know, here, and in, in remember that, 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 that Saul calls David in after this, after this battle, after he's killed Goliath, and David comes walking in like, like Perseus, you know, with the head of Medusa. Like verse 57, it says, uh, in chapter 17, it says, And as soon as David returned from striking down, from the striking down of the Philistine, I love that. It's like an event, the striking down of the Philistine, not just striking down, but the striking down. Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you? Whose son you fall? That was for Howard. Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Notice what he says. He doesn't say, well, Saul, 
You know who I am? I'm the one Samuel anointed to take your place. And I took out that giant that you, could, you weren't man enough to handle. Where's my pint? Where's my wine? Bring out the girls, right? He, he doesn't do that. But he humbles himself. He, he says, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Right? David submits to Saul's throne. And he fought Goliath out of love for God. He had a passion for God's glory. Now, why do I mention all this? Why do I mention all this stuff about David's passion when talking about his friendship with Jonathan? Because if you think of the word sympathy, it means to suffer along with. Sympathy isn't just this like pitying someone from afar, but it's a suffering a deep burden that's in the gut, a deep passion. The word there is pathos, right? It's this deep passion that you just, you feel, you know, clo and close friends don't only just share their business, but they have similar passions, right? When you both share that similar passion, you know, what, whatever it might be, whether it's like, you know, if I hear somebody else is like, yeah, you know, I like John Mayer. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. You know, like, oh, I'm in the sci-fi movies. What? Right? Like, when you hear somebody else has a, a similar passion, it's kind of like, the, oh, yeah. Right? And C.S. Lewis says, when, uh, when you meet someone and he talks about one of his passions and you respond, you too? That's sympathy. I'm suggesting that a major reason that Jonathan began to love David as his own soul is because they had a similar passion. They both had a passion for God's glory. And now they could explore that passion together. That's sympathy. All right. A little side note here. One reason why we're seeing some strain in multiracial communities right now is because right when we assumed when some friendships were blooming in our midst, we have now seen that what has been mismatched or conflicting are passions, right? Not everyone feels the same commitment to dismantle individual and systemic racism in their gut, right? And, and some have realized that their alliances and their friendships uh, are, are, are now suffering what I would call a case of mistaken passion, right? The sympathy is lost. And that's why the friendships are hurting. But this, this legendary love between David and Jonathan suggests that friendship diminishes without sympathy, especially a passion for something or someone that is greater than the pair. So their friendship, it, it drives us, it guides us toward intimacy, toward sympathy, but also guides us toward covenant. What do I mean by that? Now, I could have said commitment, that it, it guides us toward commitment. But it's a little bit more than that. See, Jonathan and David, they point us toward 
more of what we could call a covenantal commitment. Look with me at verse 3 in chapter 18. It says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan's armor, his weapons, and even his royal robe, he takes off and he gives to David. The son of the king is willing to share his status with David. Now, this is a pretty big deal because, because Jonathan would have been next to be king, right? You think about that. Saul was on the throne. He saw son. Who's supposed to be next in line? It's Jonathan. But God gave that spot to David. But Jonathan wasn't consumed with jealousy. and He wasn't consumed with envy. He wasn't thinking, I've got to take revenge if I could just take this man out. But no, Jonathan's love was greater than his fear. And he wasn't threatened by laying aside his glory and his inheritance for David's sake. And that's what friends do. They share their privilege, even when it costs them. Now, that, that, that sounds like a marriage, right? I mean, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, a husband should love their wives as their own bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. But here's a word of hope to all of us, and I think especially to all my single friends out there. Covenant isn't for marriage only. Covenant isn't for marriage only. Right? It, think about, you know, this, the new documentary was just released um, about the, that group, uh, Freestyle Love Supreme, you know, Chris Jackson and Lin-Manuel Miranda and, you know, the, and, and others who are part of this uh, improv hip-hop group, right? And the documentary was just released, and as you watch it, you see this, the bond that they had with one another, that they were after. They had a similar passion, right? But they were willing to make sacrifices for one another so that they both could get ahead and bring something into the world that was greater than the group itself. It's amazing, right? And they weren't married to each other. So, so right, so you don't need that. A covenant of commitment doesn't have to be with, within a marriage alone. You can pursue those things and experience it outside of it. So we look at Jonathan, and Jonathan was so committed to David that he would leverage his status, his connections, and his abilities for, for David's protection and for his flourishing. And soon that commitment was going to be put to the test. And we'll get into that a little bit next Sunday. But this covenantal relationships, relationships that are marked by covenantal commitment, have life or death consequences. What, what Jonathan did was like saying, look, there's, there's no good in me living if you're not living good too. Right? Another way to say it is, if I shine, you shine. Right? We ride together, we die together. Bad boys for life, right? So, you know, but so, so we say that. We say that that kind of attitude is, is only for the movies, and it, it's only in the Bible, but it can happen for us too. Don't we want that kind of friendship for ourselves? Don't we think the world would be a better place? That we actually would, would bring glory to God if we had those kinds of relationships? So then, we see that this friendship that Jonathan has with David 
this godly friendship that it guides us toward intimacy and sympathy and covenant. That's what we've said. It's covenantal commitment. So it guides us towards something. It gives us direction as we're seeking a kind of friendship that would change the world. But, but then what about the power? Where does that come from? And that's my last point. Like, I want to tell you how friendship in God gives us power. We figured out some of this friendship kind of love thing for ourselves, right? We figured this out without the Bible or without Christianity. We, we kind of figured out how to do some of these things. But what about the power for friendships that, that promotes healing and justice? Because for some of you, just like Drake, you've been getting fake love, right? You've been down so long that fake love looks like up, right? But, but we've also been giving fake love, right? We've been giving it out. We've let our friends down, as well as having been let down by those who have called themselves our friends. So, you know, we let some of our friends wear a mask of heroism or moral purity or, or competence because of the perks that we get by being associated with them, right? You, you, you have friends who have loved their ambitions, who have loved their addictions and their comfort more than you, and it's cost you. And we've sought out friendships that will justify evil passions. We've been vulnerable with friends only to be stabbed in the back for, for some gossip, or it's simply because they were having a bad day. They broke confidentiality. Our friendships fall far short, even of what we see between Jonathan and David. But we still long for that transformative love, that, that, that healing and justice and beauty-bringing kind of love for a, a new kind of world that is just within our reach, and our cry is, bring me a higher love. Now, when, um, you know, a lot of you know that that's a song as well. And uh, my brother, one of our elders, uh, Larry Canty, he, he, he emailed me and he's like, when he saw that this was going to be the sermon title, he's like, you know, brother, which version are you going to sing? You know, are you going to refer to you from the, the Steve Winwood, Eric Clapton version? Or are you going with the Kygo, Whitney Houston version? Which one? And I like, I, I like both versions, right? But it's Whitney. Ah, I'm like, you know, we talk about Whitney Houston. That's kind of hard. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it's, it, so I'm going to give both of those songs, those versions, some rotation. But the good thing is for us that the lyrics remain the same for both. So here we go. I'm going to share one of the verses here. It gives voice to our cry. Worlds are turning, and we're just hanging on, facing our fear and standing out there alone. A yearning, yeah, and it's real to me. There must be someone who's feeling for me. Things look so bad everywhere. In this whole world, what is fair? We walk blind and we try to see, falling behind in what could be. Bring me a higher love. Bring me a higher love. Oh, bring me a higher love. Where's that higher love I keep thinking of? That higher love is Christ. For Jesus is our Jonathan. Jesus became 
intimate with humanity to the point of being made like one of us, loving us as much as his own soul that he took on the sin of our souls and paid the penalty for us exposed on the cross. Jesus receives and removes our shame before God so that we can be free to build intimacy with him and also with one another rather than hiding and using each other to cover our shame. Jesus sympathized with his father's passion for his glory so much so that he loved us to the very end, becoming our savior. His love restores us through the Holy Spirit so that we might pursue deep passions with each other that actually build and restore people in God's good world. As we see the Son of God disrobing himself at the cross to give us his righteousness, and as we see the Savior constantly using his privilege every single day, every single moment, every single second as the resurrected king to lift us up, we're set free to commit to our friends and even serve our enemies in costly ways because God will never abandon us. Where is that higher love? It's not too far away because through Christ, that higher love is reaching out to us. Will we grab it? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to go on mission together as friends, bringing it about beauty and healing and justice and peace in this world that you've made. But we need your help. Oh, Lord, you know how much we need your help. We want to have a friendship that is marked by intimacy and sympathy and covenantal love. Would you help us, God? Bring the higher love of your spirit and transform us. Grab hold of us. Move us even to reach out to you. Receive us, oh God, so that we can be changed and we might be the kind of, of friends that this world so desperately needs and be the kind of friends that will give you glory because you deserve it all. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.